Welcome back to Building Better Basketball, the Basketball Australia Coaches Podcast. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach and Volunteer Development Manager for Basketball Australia. Recording this week's podcast, bang in the middle of National Volunteer Week, Australia's largest annual celebration of volunteers. The theme for National Volunteer Week this year is the Change Makers, representing a celebration of our power to drive change and ensure volunteering is inclusive of all members of the Australian community and celebrate, thank, and recognize the significant contribution of the 3 million sports volunteers. To have a chat about that, I'm joined by Scott Tutton. Scott is an ex-colleague of mine from cricket and is currently the head of clubs and volunteers at Cricket Australia. Originally a Sydney boy, he spent time with the ACT government, clubs New South Wales and Netball Australia, before sp spending the last decade in cricket with Cricket Victoria and now Australia. The main reason Scott is here, though, is due to his role on the Sport Australia Sport Volunteer Coalition, a panel made up of experts from the sports industry, government and volunteering, who are working together to transform the sport volunteer experience and promote the value of volunteering in sport. Scott, it's great to see you again, mate, and welcome to Building Better Basketball. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me, mate. Long time no see. <laughs> so National Volunteer Week and the Sport Volunteer Coalition for any of our listeners that this is the first they're hearing of it, what what are some things that they should know about those? So I guess, I mean, firstly, the, the role of the Sport Volunteer Coalition uh, was a, a group put together uh, last year by Sport Australia, um, which was really looking to not just bring together uh, national sporting organisations to solve um, for issues or to improve a volunteer experience, but actually brought together um, an entire industry. So we have representation from Volunteering Australia as the peak body for volunteering across the country. Uh, we also have other kind of parts of the volunteering sector who are connected to sport um, involved as well. So when you think about uh, diverse communities, uh, when you think about um, I guess just other representatives across government as well in terms of you know who influences volunteers, who sets the platform for volunteers, where does funding come from? Um, we involve quite a lot of groups and primarily my role and those from national sporting organisations is to be representatives of the sports sector, not just to be representatives of our own um, organisations necessarily. So we have representation from surf lifesaving, we have representation from cricket, we have representation from golf. Um, we did have representation from badminton um, we also have representation from um, Gary Westvale from the uh, the Alliance of Sports uh, for People with a Disability, and that really gives us some nice coverage in terms of their work with the different um, kind of blind and vision impaired and um, deaf and hard of hearing and, um, and other kind of categories of um, of adaptive sport that, that allows us really to understand where the major events sit, but also the week-to-week -week, um, volunteers and how we improve the, the volunteer experience. So there's a four-year action plan that goes with that. Um, we are just about to end the first year um, through that action plan. And it's really been about building advocacy and something like um, National Volunteer Week and the Changemakers campaign is a really large part of that. And hopefully what the listeners will um, see and also hear over the next few days and have over the previous few um, is a real kind of presence from sport in trying to celebrate, um, recognise um, and reflect on volunteers across our across our sport industry. Um, and certainly that's what I've been noticing this year is it feels a lot more present um, than what it has been in years past, which hopefully is a big tick on our action plan. What are some of the favourite volunteer stories, I guess, you've heard in the last 
48 hours and 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 in the year since the coalition started it it's a really hard question mate in terms of you know you're trying to drive system leadership when you're working in coalition you're working very much from a helicopter view but our job is really to improve the individual's experience and there are um you know, thousands upon thousands of those within each of our respective sports um you know a total of just under three million across all of sport um i shared a really what I thought was a neat story yesterday um, around a, a colleague, an ex-colleague of mine and of yours, mate, um, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne here, a, a gentleman by the name of Dick Menting. Um, and when I say there was nothing particularly unique about Dick that is not meant to be a slight in, the, in any way, shape or form, it is because he was someone who was simply passionate about sport and community. And what he did was act on that. And that is almost... Um, the most important thing is that there are people with passions of all ilks, you know, within our within our villages, within our towns, um, and the volunteers are simply those who um, who act on those. You know, they turn up, um, they're present, they care, they ask questions, they listen, um, they do things that other people um, either can't or won't. And to, there's just something about Dick's story in particular um, that. Yeah, we're not sharing video through the podcast, mate, but I could see it in the look on your face. You knew exactly what I was talking about when I when I said the word digmenting. Um It was when you so... your story that you you shared that the memory I remember because as you said, it was really early in your time at Cricket Vic. Absolutely. You came into the office the next day and you were telling us all about how you've been ushered into the basement of this bank and it was, Absolutely. There was no natural light and you you thought you were about to get knocked in a mafia movie kind of thing and it, turned out yeah, it was, the friendly it was, grandfather was in charge it was it was very bizarre um well i found it bizarre because it was my first time kind of doing that as someone um employed in a sport that i'd volunteered in and played for years and years but i hadn't quite seen that side of it you know and you're parking in a back entrance to a bank um, and it didn't look like a bank from the back. And there wasn't a hell of a lot of street lights. Um, but you were you were kind of ushered in and it was this small boardroom and it was where they did their business. Um, but in there was, you know, all of the people who were important decision makers at a volunteer level within that particular region. And um, he went out of his way to make not just me feel well, feel welcome, but everyone in that room feel welcome and make sure that they felt like they had something valuable to give by way of a contribution. Um, and that didn't mean that everyone had to come up with every single idea. His role was to empower us as a group, whether we were employed or whether we were there volunteering our own time freely. Um, his job was to make sure that we were a cohesive unit who understood what our purpose was and he absolutely did that. Um, and taught us some things along the way. And yeah, unfortunately, Dick is no longer with us, but is someone who um, even now, I still kind of often think of as one of the prototypes of what volunteer, volunteers can do um, in local communities and in sporting clubs in particular. So Basketball Australia are a big supporter of the Sport Volunteer Coalition Action Plan. And we're in the process of updating our volunteer recognition strategy to be in line with that and working with the states and territories to incorporate it at their level and you can check that out on the basketball australia website after this and it's great to see like even just in the last uh 
24 Hours, Basketball Victoria have recognized their Volunteer of the Year and Tasmania and WA have an ongoing monthly uh, process to do that. There are four parts to the Sport Volunteer Coalition Action Plan, Scott. So just going to kind of ask you a couple of questions about each of those different stages. So obviously this week is about celebration and highlighting the success stories and the hard work of all the volunteers out there. What are some of the best ways that you've seen volunteers be recognized for what they do? Because often they're doing it for the sole purpose of not being recognized and just because they simply want to be involved and care passionately about the sport. It's um, it's one of the most difficult things I think about working at a state and a national level is trying to really identify those um, those people and those programs. Because as you said, Neil, that they aren't doing it necessarily for external recognition. And sometimes um, it's not even just humility that holds them back from putting those stories forward. The actual, the best volunteer recognition or celebration pieces, I think, are those that come from peer level. So when they're actually recognised within a club, rather than it necessarily having to be, um, you know, insert sponsor's name here, volunteer of the year in a social media post once a year. Like that is great. And in some ways is quite easy to do. It's the ongoing recognition, the small pat on the back or the small thank you, or it might be at Wednesday night training or Thursday night selection night or after a match on a Sunday morning or whatever it may be in your particular sport. Those ones that happen at an intra-club level, are the best types. Scott, empowerment's probably one of the things that SSOs and NSOs have to do the most work in. Is that fair? What do we need to do better to support and connect the volunteers? Really good question. Um, I think actually helping volunteers to understand almost the landscape or the environment that they work in is not always... Um, not always what they think it is in terms of helping them to understand, okay, well, what is the challenge that may well be on your doorstep in two years' time, five years' time, 10 years' time? I think that is our role and making sure that they are, that volunteers are starting to either equip themselves with the skills or the knowledge that they're going to require to perform their work or helping them to understand the types of skills or knowledge that their club, their league, their organisation needs to acquire to be able to do the work. So something like workplace health and safety is an area that I think um, volunteers kind of hope never impacts them. Um, and when I say volunteers, I'm kind of talking specifically around volunteer administrators, um, really hoping that that doesn't impact them rather than being maybe slightly more prudent around what well, these other things that we need to start to prepare ourselves for, even if that's something as simple as a very basic risk management plan. The role of the state body and the national body, I think, is to ensure that all of those organisations and all of the volunteer administrators within them are aware of this, the environment within which they operate, because we know that can differ from the reasons why you put your hand up to volunteer in the first place. Often it can come from a really good place of just wanting to help, but sometimes that doesn't line up with the jobs that actually need to be done, and there's a misalignment between the work that needs to be completed and the obligations and someone's kind of personal motivation and the bringing together of those things is always really difficult. And as state and national bodies, we never want to be 
dissuading people from wanting to be involved. We want to do quite the opposite, but we also have obligations to make sure that people are fully aware of what their roles require and to whom they kind of owe obligations. So that empowerment, I think, is very much about building almost capability and competence within those administrators. So post-COVID, volunteering has come back, albeit slowly, but I think it's also come back in a different way. What are some of the ways that volunteering has changed in the last two years? Uh, well, we've never had COVID safe officers before. They were new. Um, so they've definitely changed in that way. I think the there's there's a couple of there's a couple of trends, mate, that I think are really relevant here. Um, one being the increase in roles that people are holding. So we're starting to get towards a, a bit of a tipping point where the full number of volunteers that sport had available to pre-COVID pre has now shrunk. So not as many have come back. Um, and rather than finding ways to assign the work somewhat differently, we've got decision makers who are taking on more responsibility, which I think is going to lead to quicker burnout and is leading to quicker burnout. The other trend, which is interesting, is that over 70% of our volunteers are choosing to volunteer their time to only one organisation now. I think sport has relied heavily on the fact that there are summer volunteers and winter sport volunteers and child number one's volunteer club and child number two's volunteer club. And there's always been this hope or this assumption that the volunteers will kind of freely transfer across sports, across clubs, across levels of sport. And I think not only as a result of COVID, but just generational change. I think we are seeing um, potential volunteers be much more selective with the amount of organisations to which they give their time, but also the types of organisations to which they give their time. And sport needs to do a lot better in being able to demonstrate the value that can be ascertained from volunteering because there are other industries who do that much, much better than sport. Yeah. Animal shelters, as an example, have lines down the road for people wanting to put their hand up to come and volunteer their time. Um, I'll only speak for cricket clubs in my personal experience, but this is the same thing that's being reflected across the volunteer coalition in all of our research. That is not happening in sport. Yet we are a country of sport lovers but we don't have people wanting to necessarily give their time in the same way, which we believe they used to. And I think some of that is also um, a bit of favourable bias looking back in terms of how rosy and great the days of your were. I don't think that's also necessarily the case either. Um, so we have to find a way to connect with um, particularly a younger generation who is seeking very different things from a volunteering experience if they would like one and then the one that sport can deliver them. Yeah, and I think it's definitely, we've seen a significant return to sport and increase in sport and basketball since COVID, but it hasn't followed the same trend and the parents of the participants that are either new or returning, volunteering at the same rate. And I think it's really true what you're saying Parents are and volunteers are in general either going really narrowing their focus on where they're spending their time or actually 
um, I think valuing their time higher to be able to do other things that they potentially weren't able to do during COVID that they would otherwise have previously spent volunteering. So absolutely. We're seeing lots of new innovations, including one in Basketball Australia that we're piloting in Victoria around volunteering called Club Champ, where parents are able to fill out what is essentially a quick personality test to best align them to micro tasks that they can do to volunteer within a club. What are some of the other innovations, I guess, that you've seen or or what would you like to see innovate in volunteering? Yeah, I, I love that that idea around the club champ and just getting a sense of um, what people may be better suited to and just simply asking that question as a starting point is some things that sport hasn't historically done particularly well. There's certainly examples within clubs where they've done almost done that off their own bat. But you know, as an example, it's it would be wrong to assume that someone who has a son or daughter playing in your sport because they're an accountant, they want to be the treasurer. Yeah, they may be an accountant who does want to be treasurer. That can be true. But it would be wrong for us to assume that that's what they're best suited to. They may, may actually want to come and learn some different skills or be more tightly involved with skill development for the son or daughter. Um, but unfortunately, we kind of find ourselves falling into those traps or feeling that there's only certain types of people who can fill certain types of roles. So going through that personality test is actually a really um, good idea. And I think just simply asking the questions, you know, what are the things that you would be interested in um, involving yourself with? Like, that's a really good starting point. Um, in terms of innovations, I think finding a balance or being able to offer people the opportunity, one, micro-volunteering, micro-tasks, certainly down that track, but not having things solely be linked to you based on like your geographical proximity to the organisation. Um, if you think about a task like a social media coordinator and you think about the importance of that for generations who are coming into our sport, who that is all they've ever known, and you and I are of very similar ages, mate, and um, that world has evolved a lot since you know we were teenagers and trying to figure out what the internet was, let alone what social media was. Um, why could someone based in Albany not be the social media manager or coordinator for the Adelaide Basketball Club, as an example? If your job is to construct templates and to press go and to moderate commentary, like, why do you need to be sat in the Adelaide Bowls Club to be able to do that on a Monday night at 7.30 in the typical committee meeting sense? You don't need to be. So how we surf it, like the innovations that I think we need to be able to start to see, and there are some organisations in the volunteer world, um, Red Cross, others, who are able to pair people with roles or tasks um, outside of you know having to turn up at the the local club for the community meeting on the Monday night, which I think should be where the evolution starts to take place for sport. Now, that needs to be balanced with community and all of those great things that sport can do in terms of connecting people together physically, and that certainly become more important for people post-COVID, where we've seen a real desire to get back in person and um, to ensure that we are connecting with each other and not just... Um, isolating ourselves further and further but I think there can be a balance played in terms of 
particularly the types of roles, how they're conducted um, and where they're conducted from, I think can really be the innovation, mate. We'll get on to some basketball content now. I know you're a passionate basketball fan as well. And as a proud New South Welshman that I touched on, I presume you're still following the Illawarra Hawks in the NBL. What are you uh, expecting from uh, Jacob and the team this season? Always big things. We're hard taskmasters down in the gong. Um, excited about AJ Johnson. So we've got ourselves a next star and yeah, we've, we've had a couple of really good next stars. Um, yeah, we had Justinian Jessup with us from the Warriors for a little while and yeah, Lamello kind of needs no introduction in terms of what he's been able to go on and do. So we're excited about Johnson coming in. Uh, Sammy Froling's still young, we're hopeful. Um, we've got Tyler Harvey, he's basically you know, grounded himself in Wollongong now. So um, we'd like a few more shooters. Um, we feel like we're always a bit light and we're kind of just hanging on for dear life and trying to scrap our way to wins. Um, yeah, it'd be good. We've got Greta back kind of fit. He's had a really tough kind of run of injuries with knees, um, really athletic kind of wingman. So we're hopeful. Um, but yeah, if there's anything you can kind of pass on to to Jack in your uh, in your role, mate, at BA, just kind of making sure he gets the boys after it down there in the gong, and we can we can protect the sand pit and hopefully knock off our rivals, the Violet Crumbles up the highway there. That's always nice. <laughs> I tell you what, he was uh, he drew the short straw at the national coaches conference that we just had. He was last on day one, and he was following Brian Gorgian on the court and. Uh, that was a hard, uh, a hard slot that he had, but his intensity and enthusiasm and encouragement, not just for the players, but also talking to the coaches was, was next level. And it was nice as a short arse like myself to see someone that isn't pushing the uh, six foot barrier to be out on uh, court, talking up to the big boys, telling them what to do. I'm sure he would have been showing off his kicks like he always does. He, he takes great pride in those and, um, as mighty Hawkies are, are getting a few more than three wins this season. We'd like that. Scott, finally, the last question we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, if you could ask one coach, any sport alive or passed on a question, who would the coach be and what would the question be? Uh, I was having a, a look at the, my, my coach will be Steve Kerr and I've kind of become more of a follow of him after listening to a podcast for some time um, run by a guy named Michael Gervais, who's a huge um, Coach Carroll fan from the Seattle Seahawks. And Carroll and Kerr are kind of um, inherently linked in terms of the start of Kerr's journey with with the Warriors. Um, and I think it would be, you know, how does he, how does he manage to still create a sense of freedom in a team like the Warriors when the expectations are so high. So how do you create freedom for your players to go out and to just deliver on what they believe their potential is rather than everything else that your left brain is telling you that you're no good at? Um, there's some really cool stuff um, in a book. And as the the president of our Cricket Victoria book club, mate, I'm sure you've got this on a bookshelf somewhere and I hope you provide book recommendations on this podcast. Um, but the inner game of tennis and some of the messages in that around um, 
Yes, there it is. Thank you very much. I knew you would have it. Um, if only the listeners had had video, right? They'd be able to show you proudly holding on to that book. But I think some of the messages in that and just the ways in which not only he was able to manage that in his own game as a player with, at the Spurs and Bulls and whatnot, but to be able to put that into his players because you see that in players like Clay and players like Steph who just believe in themselves, right? Yeah. Draymond for all of his kind of physical limitations. Like, he believes he's like top five player in the world, particularly come playoffs time. Like he is a player. And I think that has to come from the environment that someone like Steve Kerr creates. So it's like, how do you, how do you do that in such a high pressure environment? I think would be really interesting. And then how could you translate that to you know, coaches of young kids like you and me who want to be able to do that for our, for our children? Like how do you still instill that kind of inherent sense of play? and not get them bogged down by pressure and environment and things they have no control over. Oh, you've given me a really good idea about uh, starting to share <laughs> some book recommendations as well. We might uh, we might do a future episode. We're really lucky that a lot of our guests share recommendations as well. So, But Lono and me do try and share book recommendations whenever we can, but I might do a, a special library pod uh, just when I'm looking for content and roll well, through. Well, if you're looking you. for a co-host, um, I reckon <laughs> I could make myself available if you'll ever have me back. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time on what I know is an incredibly busy week for you at Cricket Australia as the volunteer manager. So I look forward to seeing the rest of the content and we're going to be putting some more stuff out as Basketball Australia through the remainder of this week. But enjoy the rest of the off-season for cricket and I look forward to talking with you a bit more once the NBL starts about Illawarra. Awesome. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me, mate. And congrats on all the work you're doing too. Some soap amazing!